Welcome to Dayspring Church Online, where we share the message of hope all over the world. Our prayer is that this podcast will help you live a more fulfilling life with God at the center. For more information on how you can take part, visit us at dayspringpc.org. I always like to start off with a joke. Can I do that this morning? Sure. We don't have any Mildreds in this place before I tell the joke. Because if not, I'll change the name. We don't have any Mildreds in this place. Okay, so the joke says, the Mildred was the official gossip lady of the church. That she kept sticking her nose in other people's businesses and private lives. And church members definitely didn't appreciate, they did not like um, how gossipy she was, but they feared her enough to not say anything to her. Well, one day she made a big mistake. She got in the life of, the new me- of a new member called George. And she saw George's truck park outside of a bar and began to tell the church that George was a drunk. Well, George, a man of few words, stared at her for a moment and then just walked away. That night, he went and he parked his car in front of her house and left her there for the whole night. (laughs) So if you know any gossipers, that's a good way to get them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your wonderful love. We know that you're here, Lord, and we know that you're going to speak to us. I pray that it may be you and not me, Lord, and that you would get us to understand, that you would get us to more than understand, that you would get us to apply and live what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. They're going to move me back because of the light. The sound, okay. I'm new here. I'm still trying to figure things out. You guys are going to have, but I'm going to end up in the front anyways. I'm a wild horse. Hey, I want to thank you for being here today. I'm so glad you chose to come. As you heard the lovely, hot, sexy uh, lady that was up here, that's my wife, say, this is our, this is our first, our second Sunday as a merge. Last Sunday was kind of like the marriage ceremony. Today, real life begins, right? So, um, as we were preparing for this merge, I was uh, doing a lot of prayer because anytime you don't know what to do, there's always one thing you should know to do, and that is what? Pray. Prayer is not the last resort. Well, all I can do is pray. No, the first thing we need to do is pray. So I spent a lot of time in prayer asking God for direction, and one of the things that, that he prompted us strongly in my heart was to do a series called One. In light of our merge, in light of our unity, that we would speak about one because my prayer and my desire as a pastor is that this merge would be healthy and successful that 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 we would that we would mesh well and that that we would not lose people along the way but that on the contrary that we would attract people along the way so what i want to do is for the next three weeks i want to talk to you about what makes us one because if we are going to have a healthy and successful merge there's three things that i think we need to have in mind and i titled it one because in the bible the number one represents unity and oneness um and it's specifically it is a number that it that it predominantly describes god 
The number one is primarily attributed to God. The number one is also used to, to describe marriage, right? The Bible says that the, that the man and his wife would become what? One. But, but the number one is predominantly used for God. And, and, and it speaks of the unity between the Godhead, between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Israelites in the Old Testament, they had a, a prayer. They had a, a model, you could say, known as the Shema or the Shema Israel. And it's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It's not in your outline, but I think they'll put it up in the screen. And it says this. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one what? Lord. God is one. And then we find uh, Jesus and the apostles also referred to the unity that existed between that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For example, these are not in your outline, but but um, um, you might want to write them down somewhere. John 10:30 says, "I and the Father are one," and that's Jesus speaking. In 1 Corinthians 8:4, Paul says, "There is no other God but one." And Galatians 3:20 says, "God." Is one so the number one speaks of unity, speaks of oneness, and it refers primarily to God. Now you're wondering, well, what does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with me this morning, Pastor? Well, I want us to look at a prayer that Jesus made, and this is going to be the verse, the key verse for this series. It's found right there in your outlines in John 17:21, and. Uh, Jesus is about to be arrested. He's about to go into trial and eventually uh, be crucified. And uh, he's praying to God. And he's praying to God about, about various things. But in verse 21, look at what he prays regarding you and me, okay? It's right there. It says, I pray, and again, this is Jesus speaking. I pray that they will all be what? One. One. Now, the next part is key. Just as you and I are what? So you know what Jesus is praying here? Jesus is praying that we as his followers, that we as a church would experience the kind of unity that he and the Father and the Holy Spirit have. If Jesus would have said that they would be one and not have said, like you and I are one, then we could say, well, we can't experience that kind of unity. But Jesus sets the mark. He sets the bar for the kind of unity that we're supposed to have. Now, there's a lot of uh, division in our nation right now, right? We're divided about just every other topic, right? Guns, no guns, um, immigration, no immigration. Um, we're divided about a whole bunch of things. And I think one mistake that as Christians that we're making is that we are demanding unity from the White House before we have unity in this house. And it's gonna be a lot easier. In fact, let me tell you something. I believe that the unity in our nation is not gonna come from the White House, it's gonna come from God's house. So before we can get united as a nation, we need to get united as a church. And that was Jesus' prayer. Let's continue reading. It says, I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. Listen to this. this. This next part is key. I'll talk about this another week. And may they be in us so that the world will believe what? You sent me. So our unity is going to testify. Our unity is going to witness. Our unity is supposed to be attractive. So let me ask you this morning. How would you like to answer one of Jesus' prayers? 
Now, you've probably never been asked that before. Now, Jesus is not praying to us, but he is praying about us. And he's praying that we would rise above our differences, that we would rise about the things that, that, that are different about us, and that we would focus about what we have in common. Now, I need you to understand something. When I speak about unity, I'm not speaking about uniformity. I'm not speaking about all of us dressing the same, always thinking the same, talking the same, liking the same things. No, that's a boring church. We're not talking about uniformity. We're talking about unity. Let me, let me explain this to you this way, okay? Our children are not uniformed, but they do make one family. If you have more than one child, you know how likely opposite they are, right? If we would have had our second daughter as our first daughter, she would have been an only child. <laughs> In fact, we went for another one because the first one was so good and it was so easy. And now we're stuck on two because we're like, what if we get another number two? You know, what if three is like number two or worse? I, I hope you know I kid a lot, okay? So when I speak about unity, I'm not speaking about uniformity. I'm not speaking about all of us um, being exactly the same. No, no, let me tell you something. In order for there to be unity, there needs to be diversity. And there's beauty in diversity. There's beauty in saying, hey, you don't look like me, but we can live together. Hey, you don't think like me, but we can pray together. Hey, hey, you don't drive the same cars that I drive because you don't like the same cars I, I like, but we can get along. We can, we can make a difference in the world. And if we're going to make a difference, we need to be able to have unity. Now, the foundation of unity is the same the foundation of our unity as a church, uh, the foundation of our unity as God's people is the same foundation as the unity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you know what that is? Equality of persons. That means that every person is equal and valuable before God. And let me tell you something, okay? Because that is a problem that we have in this nation. We say that all people are created equal, and we say that all people are uh, bearers of the image of God, but we really don't behave like all people are equal. Okay? And, and, and your social status determines a lot, and your education determines a lot, and your skin color determines a lot. But let me tell you something. If you're not a Christian, this doesn't apply to you. But if you're a Christian, this is marching orders for us, okay? Here's the level ground for all of us, regardless of our, of our socioeconomical condition, regardless of our education, regardless of our language, regardless of our skin color. Here's the leveling ground for all of us. When we stand before the cross, we all stand on equal ground. We're all sinners in need of a savior. No matter how much money you got, no matter how much education you got, before the cross, you stand at the same level as somebody that is poor, that is uneducated, because money and education do not change your sin condition. Only Jesus does. So regardless of what what. The differences that we have, we have one thing in common. We're all sinners and in need of a savior. So, so that's why I, 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 we're doing this series. And I want to talk about three elements of our unity as a church. Now, the church 
in the Bible is described in many ways, okay? The, the, the church is described as a family, as a fellowship, as a body, as a bride, as a temple of God, as a flock. And there's, there's a couple of other ones, but what I want to do today is look at the church as God's family. Look at what the Bible says right there in your outline regarding the church in 1 Timothy 3.15. It says God's family is what? The church. God's family is the church. And then in Ephesians 2.19, it says, You are members of God's very own family, and you belong in God's household with what? Every other Christian. But let me tell you this. Church is not like a family. Church is a family. And I know some of you are like, but we don't act like a family. Well, that's what we got to work on. Okay, some people are married and they don't act like they're married. But they are married. And we are a family. We're, we're not like a family. We are a family. We are a spiritual family. In fact, let me tell you something, and you probably already know this. Your spiritual family, this group, is going to outlast your physical family. In heaven, there isn't going to be any more Flores. There isn't going to be any more Gonzales. We're going to be God's family. And, and we're going to be one big, happy family. Now, why would God make the church a spiritual family? Why would God make the church a family? Let me tell you why. Because he wants you to be loved and belong. He wants you to have a place where you are loved and a place where you say, here's what I belong. And let me tell you something about our current times. We want to belong. We want to be embraced. We want to be noticed. But God didn't just make the church a family so that you could be, be loved and belong, but also so that you could learn and practice to love and accept others. It's not just a one-way street. It's a two-way street where we are loved and where we belong, but we also love and we also accept others. Let, let, here, here's really easy. Something really easy for you to, to know how to look at the church. The church is supposed to be a preview to heaven. You know how they play the previews on the TV and they just, and, and the previews will always show you the best parts of the movie. Okay? Now, when it, when it comes to heaven in the church, the best is still in heaven. But what people see when they see the church should be so attractive that they say, I want to be part of that. I, I want whatever they're, they're doing and I want to belong to what, what they are belonging so if you are the kind of person that you just kind of want to come and, and, and just kind of connect with God and then go do your own thing, you're not going to like heaven much. So we, we, we might as well start practicing down here, right? What heaven is going to be like, one big happy family, that's what we need to practice. Now, the word church in the Bible is used in two different ways, okay? Um, you might want to write this down. The first way it's used, it's used to describe the universal church. To speak about every Christian throughout the world. Past, present, and future Christians. That's the first term that the Bible uses sometimes when it speaks about the church. is the universal church. Now, here's something interesting. Only about four times 
depending on what translation you have. Only about four times does the Bible use the word church to refer to the universal church. Most times that the Bible uses the word church, it's using it in the second sense, and that is that it refers to a local group, to a smaller group like the one we have here today. Almost every time that the Bible speaks of the church, it speaks about a small group, a local community as the church. Yes, we are part of the universal church, but we're also a local group because the church is God's family. And you're going to hear me referred and mentioned to our church as a family because that's what we are. That's what we are. And we're not a perfect one, okay? If you're visiting today and you're trying to find a perfect church, I'm going to tell you right ahead. And I know I'm new here, but I know this, okay? We are not perfect. But I'll tell you what we are. We are healthy. We are healthy. And if you're hurting, I'll tell you what. This will be a place where God can heal you. So we're not a perfect church, but we are a healthy church. And a healthy church doesn't mean they don't have problems, right? Just like good marriages are not marriages that don't have problems. No, good marriages are marriages that don't let their problems destroy them. And we're the kind of church that we're not going to let whatever issues come up destroy us. We're going we're gonna to go above them. Now, let me tell you, you're never going to find a perfect church. And if you ever think you do, you're going to make it an imperfect church. So don't join it. I love you, but I got to tell you the truth. If you think, oh, that church is perfect. They got a kid's ministry. The pastor, he actually wears a suit, um, so-and-so. It's so perfect. I'm going to come to this church. The moment you say, I'm going to belong to this church, you just made that perfect church imperfect. Because we're imperfect, aren't we? Right? So let me tell you three things, and you can fill these out in your outline, that make us a family. Three things that make us a family. Then we're going to talk about three behaviors that I want us to embrace to make this merge a healthy and successful one. The first thing that makes us a family is the work of Jesus. Would you fill that in in your outlines? Is the work of Jesus. There are two ways to belong to a family. One is to be born into it, and the second is to be adopted into it. And let me tell you that God does both of those for us. It's called being born again and being adopted into God's family. When you put your trust in Jesus, the Bible uses a vocabulary that you are born again. Because now you are born with a spiritual nature. Because now the Spirit of God brings you alive. And that's why you are a new creation. And that is why the Bible says that all things are new. Because God has given us a new nature and we are born again. But the Bible also speaks about us coming to God as being adopted into God's family. Now, you know the really cool thing about adoption? That nobody adopts by mistake. And the Bible says that God adopts us into his family. In the New Testament time, the culture was that, that if, a, if parents had kids, they could forsake them and abandon them. 
And many, many parents, especially um, uh, the society that didn't follow the way or the teachings of Jesus, they would have, when they had girls, especially girls, because girls in those times were a commodity, they, they, they were not something valuable. Um, and by the way, that's something that the church changed. Um, that's something that Jesus changed. The, the gospel of Luke is a gospel that elevates women because Jesus came to teach us that we are the same before God. But anyways, in, those, in the New Testament times, um, parents could abandon, could forsake their kids, and they would go and they would drop them off by the riverbank and just abandon them. And the law permitted it. But if another family or another individual came and took that kid, adopted that kid, that adoptive parent could not forsake that child anymore. And did you know what community was the community that was adopting all those forsaken kids? Christian community. And the Bible says that God has adopted us into his family. So you know what that means. That's why he says, I will never forsake you and I will never abandon you. And the first thing that makes us a family is that is the work of Jesus. Now, here's the key thing. Being born again and being adopted into God's family is only possible through Jesus. Look at what the Bible says in Galatians 3.26 right there in your outlines. For you are all children of who? God. Through who? Through faith in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. And then 2 Corinthians 5.18 says this. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself. Through who? Through Christ. Now listen to this. The invitation to be part of God's family is universal. It's for everybody. There's no exceptions. There's no exclusions. But there's only one requirement faith in Jesus. There's no other way. See, there's no, there's no exclusions. There's no exceptions. There's only one requirement to belong to God's family, to put your faith in Jesus. Why Jesus? Because it was only Jesus who was able to make a way to bring us and restore us into the Father. So if you don't belong to God's family, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus, today is a good day to do that. In a few minutes, I'm going to give you the invitation. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. But that is the first thing that makes us a family. We are a family because of the work of Jesus and our faith in him. The second thing that makes us a family, and you can fill this out in your outlines, is that we have the same father. Not only do we have the same savior, but we have the same father. You know what determines who your siblings are? Who your daddy or your mommy is. You know what makes my two daughters sisters? That I'm their dad. And God is the creator of everyone, but he's not the father of everyone. God becomes our father when we place our faith in Jesus. Look at what Hebrews 2.11 says. Jesus makes men holy. That's another way of saying Jesus makes us acceptable before God. Because God is holy. Right? And we are not. Now, how does, he do th how does he do this? Well, he takes away their sin. Both Jesus and the one being made holy, that's us, have the same what? Father. Another version says they belong to the same family. That is why, this is so awesome. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers. And I would add sisters. When we place our faith in Christ, 
God becomes our father. We become his children, and other believers become our brothers and sisters. And as a church, we become one family. Now, let me tell you something, and I know this is going to be hard for some of you because you kind of like that whole relationship between just you and God, okay? But God is not a only child kind of daddy. God likes big families. God wants a big family. And God doesn't have favorites. And I know some of you are like, I'm God's favorite. It's only me and him. No, I'm sorry. I'm his favorite. I'm just kidding. God doesn't have favorites. God doesn't prefer the rich over the poor or the poor over the rich. He doesn't prefer the skinny over the fluffy. Thank God, right? He doesn't prefer married folks over single folks. He doesn't prefer the educated over the uneducated. And here's a tough one. He does not prefer Republicans over Democrats. God loves his children equally. Now, God has different relationships with his children, but he loves them all the same. And he's a father to all of them the same. Amen? The third thing that makes us a family, and this is a big one, okay, is a personal decision. Would you fill that out in your outline? The third thing that makes us a family is a personal decision. Romans 15, 7, right there in your outlines, it says, Christ accepted you, so you should also what? Accept each other. Why? This will bring honor to God. Only in America do we have what's called floating believers. Or as the new generation calls them, freelancers. They don't belong to a church. They don't want to commit to a church. They want to go to whatever church they want on whatever specific day they want. And usually what determines what church they go to is the events happening in the church. A Christian without a church is what? An orphan. A Christian without a church is an orphan. And see, do not make the mistake because many people think that Christianity is about a belief system. Oh, here's what you got to believe. Here's what you got to believe. Here's what you got to know. Let me tell you something. Christianity is a belong system. It's about belonging to God. It's about belonging to God's family. And yes, there are beliefs involved. We got to believe in one God. We got to believe that Jesus died on the cross and resurrected for us. Yes, we got to believe those things. But we also have to belong. We have to belong because, listen, heaven is about belonging. It's about being with God. So Christianity is about being part of a local spiritual family. And if you want to be close to God, today we sang a song, Lord, draw us closer to you. Take us deeper with you. If you want to do that, you're going to have to do that together with God's family. Yes, there's room for you to do it on your own. There's room for private practices, but we also have to have corporate practices. Look at what Ephesians 2.19 says. We already read this verse, but look at this part. He says, you belong. You belong in God's household with what? With every other Christian. God expects you. God wants you to belong to a local church. 
I, I had somebody tell me once, oh, I need to pray if it's God's will for me to belong to a church. I said, you don't got to pray. You don't got to pray because God is not going to be like, oh, let me think about it. Well, it might be good for the church if you didn't go to church. That might be the only reason God says, yeah, yeah, you should kind of stay on your own. But not even then he'll say that God wants all of us to belong. So you don't got to pray about, Lord, is it your will for me to belong to a church? No, God wants you to belong to a church. Now, let me tell you something about belonging. Let me tell you something about making a personal decision to belong. Commitment makes families strong. A family, a marriage without commitment is not a strong church. Spouses committed to one another through the good and bad, provide safety for their kids. Committed Christians to one another make a strong church. Do you want a healthy church? Do you want an exciting church? Do you want a church where God is moving? A church where, where we're changing the world one person at a time? It will not happen if you don't commit. You want to become a better person? You want to have better relationships? You want to grow in your faith? You want to grow in your abilities? You got to commit. Because without commitment, growth and improvement cannot happen. It is commitment that makes the difference. See, if you say, I'm going to go to the gym, but you only go the first two weeks of January, there isn't going to be much change, right? You know, the only change is going to be in your finances because now you're stuck paying two years of gym. But your body hasn't seen any change because there's no what? Commitment. There's Christians that, 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 that they never grow, that they never improve because they never commit to a church. They're only there for a while. As soon as somebody offends them, as soon as a change happens that they don't approve with, what do they do? They go find another church. If you stay committed through the good and bad, you're going to grow even if things around you are not good. And by the way, let me tell you what commitment is. Commitment means you do what is right and necessary, not because you feel like it or it's convenient, but because you choose to. Commitment is always possible. Commitment is always a choice. Anybody here excited about work on Mondays? Anybody, if you are, we don't like you. Go find another church. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nobody here likes work on Mondays, right? In fact, your Sunday nights begin to be dreadful because you're like, oh, Monday's coming. <laughs> right? You don't like Mondays. And while the one day that most workers miss is Monday, most of us still go to work on Monday. Why? Because we're committed. And you may not be committed to your boss, but I'll tell you what you are committed to. You are committed to the money that they're going to pay you because you need it to pay your bills. So there's a form of commitment. And, and all that you're like, oh, man, I, I just don't want to go today. I, you know, I don't feel like it. You still drag yourself to go. Why? Because you know ultimately there's a good that's going to come out of it. 
And we commit to the church when it's rainy, when it's sunny, when the AC works, when the AC doesn't work, when Pastor Nestor's here, when he's not here, when we got a good worship team, when we don't have a good worship team, when people that offended you are here or they're not here, we commit to it. Why? Because we want to grow. And we grow not just as individuals, we also grow as a church. Now, I know some of you are saying, yeah, you're the pastor. You're supposed to say that. You want us to commit because you want to have more people here. No. I want you to commit because God committed to you. God is committed. You want to know how committed God is to you? Every single one of us. You know how committed? He sent his one and only son. You can't get more committed than that. Okay? He didn't have another son. He only had one and he gave it for us. That's how committed he is to us. So listen, if you've made a personal decision to put your faith in Jesus, I want to ask you to make a personal decision to make Dayspring your home, to make Dayspring your family, and to act and behave like a family. And there's three ways that I want to ask you for now, okay? Um, by the way, if you want to get to know me, I'm going to give you one model that I have in my life that is going to help you know me. As a pastor, I believe that my job is to comfort the afflicted. If you're ever going through a hard time, I'm, God is going to move through me to comfort you. Okay? So I comfort the afflicted, but I afflict the comfortable too. You know why? Because I want you to grow. I want God's best for you. I don't want you to stay stagnant. I don't want you to stay, oh, you know, the same Christian for 15 years. No, no, no. There's promises. There's wonderful things God wants to experience. The Bible says that God created good works for us that we may do them. And I, I believe it is my job to encourage you and push you and afflict you when you're comfortable to do those things. Because there's a lot of comfortable people. Okay? So let me afflict you a little bit. Is that cool? I'll comfort you in a minute, but let me afflict you first. <laughs> Three ways I want to ask you to commit to each other. Number one, these are not in your outline, but you might want to write them down. Number one, make Sunday service part of your Sunday plans. Make Sunday service part of your Sunday plans. You want to go to the beach on Sunday? Go after church. You want to go to Disneyland on Sunday? Go after church. Okay? Make Sundays. Commit to it. Not just when it's sunny, even when it's rainy. Next Sunday it might rain. We're all going to be here, right? Yeah. We're not afraid of the rain. Right? So make Sunday service part of your Sunday plans. Number two, and I know this is new for half of us, but I want to invite you to join a life group. And in your outline, life groups are small groups. In your outline, we put a directory. That blue paper that's in your outline... That's the directory, okay? Join one. Be part of an even smaller community where you can belong, where you can be embraced, where you can be prayed for. I know that um, those life groups are all leaders from, uh, from Panorama City, but listen, next time around, I am believing that we're not going to have, how many do we have now? 10, 12, 12? That we're not going to have 12. I am believing we're going to have 24 small groups. 
So I'm going to need some of you to say, Pastor, I'm going to open up a life group in my house. And I'm going to train you. I'm going to teach you the really simple. What we do is we discuss the Sunday message, right? Because I know you hear me talk and you're like, but I got this question and I would have posted this way. And you can't do it here because I'll kick you out. But you can do it in your small group. (laughs) I'm kidding. Okay, I'm kidding. I won't kick you out. I just won't pay attention to you. Um, So join one. Join one. This coming week is going to be our third week, and they're only six weeks long. Okay, they're only six weeks long, and then we take a break of four weeks because we want you to be involved, but we also want you to have a life. So join one, and if you're interested in, in opening one, come talk to me. We need 24 life groups. Amen? So that's, and by the way, let me tell you why you need a life group. Can I tell you why? Because you don't only need God. You need other people. We need each other. I need you. I belong to a life group, and I'm not even the leader of it. I'm not. I go because I need other Christians in my life. I'm not a super Christian. No, I'm just like you. So if I need other Christians, you need other Christians. Amen? And then the third thing that um, I want to ask you to commit, and we're going to talk about this um, one of the coming weeks, is that I want to ask you to serve somewhere in the church. Serve somewhere. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be in the worship team. But there's plenty of things we want to do. Can I tell you one thing we, we need? We want to take one of those rooms next to the, uh, to the uh, chapel where the youth are meeting. And we want to make it a cafe. But first we need to clean that up. And then we need to fix it up. And then we need to decorate it. We need to, we need to, so I need help. Okay? Do you want me preparing for God to speak to you or you want me preparing your coffee? Why can't you do both? Maybe it'll be a holy coffee. No. It won't be. It won't even taste good because I don't know how to do coffee. I got a K-cup at home. I pop that puppy up and it's done. I don't know how to do that instant measuring stuff. I don't. Okay? So you don't have to be up here to serve. There's plenty of things out there. Ushers. Kids. Our kids need a lot of help. Right away. We can't wait a month. Right away. We need people with our kids. So that's a third way you can commit. The Bible says right there in 1 Peter 3.8. Look at what it says. You should be like one, one, not two, by the way. We got to start getting rid of the Panorama Mission Hills vocabulary. We're one. We're Mission Hills. Okay? So, Panorama, you're not Panorama anymore. Unless you want to go over there. You can help us keep the church clean. We're one. And Paul says here, you should be like one big, happy, what? Because you know you can be a family and be a miserable family. I know well about that, Pastor. That's why I brought my husband. What you don't know is that why, that's why he came with you. You can be a family but not be a happy family. And we want to be a happy family. We want to be a family full of joy. We're not going to be a perfect family, but we can be a happy family. Look at what Paul says. He says, you should be like one big happy family, full of sympathy towards each other, loving one another with tender hearts, and what? 
humble minds. The church is the family of God. Hey, listen to this. And because the church is the family of God, that has to influence how we behave, think, and treat each other. We have to. I mean, when somebody's a family member of yours, that changes everything, right? I mean, there's some things that you don't let other people get away with that you let your family get away with. There's certain, listen, my daughters can come jump in my back and they can beat me in my back playing around and I'll let them do that. You know why? They're my daughters. They're my treasures. Now, if one of your kids comes and jumps in my back, <laughs> I have a very sarcastic uh, humor, so don't take me serious on my jokes, please. Okay, so the fact that we're God's family, that needs to impact, that needs to make a difference. Okay, let me tell you something. We're God's children, okay? You're not just talking to John or Mary. No, you're talking to God's children. And I know this about loving parents. If you mess with their kids... Some of you get off the cross when they mess with your kids. <laughs> Take that cross off your back, you stand it, and you want to grab that kid and nail him up there. Okay? So let me tell you three things that I want to ask you to help me embrace as part of our culture, as part of our, of our um, environment here, especially now at first. Right now, we're going to get on each other's nerves, okay? Like, why'd you move that? Why'd you mess with that? Don't do it that way. We did it this way. Here's three guidelines for us, okay? Number one, fill this out in your outline. Be sympathetic. Be sympathetic. In other words, seek to understand. Put yourself in their shoes. Don't just, well, this is the way I've always done it. No, seek to understand, okay? Why would, why would he say that? Why, why would she act that way? Seek to understand. Put yourself in their shoes. Listen, tell you a, a, a secret to, to improve your relationships. Don't respond to people's behavior. Seek to understand their behavior. Sometimes people are going through something really rough at home, and they come to church and they don't always have the best attitude. And if you respond to that attitude, guess what's going to happen? Drama. Drama. Save the drama for your mama. <laughs> but if you say, man, I wonder if something's wrong. And we say, hey, is everything okay? Then you create an opportunity to make things better. So the first thing that I want to ask you is to be sympathetic. Now, sympathy is very visible in the way we talk to and about each other. Did you know that? Sympathy is very evident in the way we talk to each other and about each other. That's why Paul says the following in 1 Timothy 5.19. I got to hurry up and finish. Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother. And treat younger men with all purity as you would your own what? Sisters. 
So we need to speak to each other like family members. My dad tells me this all the time. He says, I know you're my pastor, but I'm your dad, boy. <laughs> and he's right. And he's right. We're family first. So when you speak, and when you speak to someone or you speak about someone, here's what I want you to do, Ephesians 4.15. Speak the truth in what? In love. Don't just speak the truth. Don't just speak love. Speak both. If you only speak truth, you are going to hurt people and you're going to distance people from you. And some of you say, but if it's true, I got to say it. That is not true. Okay? So don't just speak truth because you'll hurt people. Okay? And don't just speak love because you'll also hurt and deceive people. If you, oh, it's okay, you're going to be that, that, that permissive parent, right? That your son is an angel. And he's really not an angel. So you speak the truth with love. Okay, I wish I could talk more about that, but I don't have time. Be sympathetic. Number two, nurture a tender heart. Nurture a tender heart. The condition of our heart affects every area of our lives. Especially relationships. The way our heart is influences everything we do in life, especially relationships. Have you ever tried having a relationship with a person that has a hard heart? It's impossible. It's hard. If our hearts get hard, our relationships will get harder. Okay? One big way, one big way to keep your heart tender is to forgive. And the quicker you're at it, the better it will be for you. Look at what the Bible says in, in Corinthians 3.13. It says, make allowance. In other words, make room for each other's what? Faults. I don't want you to make mistakes, but I've made room in my life for you to make mistakes. You know why? Because when you make them, I don't want to feel like the sky fell. We are not perfect people. We're, we're going to make mistakes. And sometimes, listen, sometimes they're not even intentional. So you got to learn to forgive. Forgiveness is not so much about the person you're forgiving, but it is about you. It will set you free. It will keep your heart tender. It will keep your heart open so that you can experience God. So we got to keep our hearts tender. And the reason we do, and the way we do that is by forgiving one another. We got to make room for each other's flaws. I'm not a perfect pastor. I'm going to make mistakes. Okay? Look at what it says. And forgive anyone who offends you. Here's the really cool part. Okay? And if you're a Christian, this is maybe why non-Christians don't want to be Christians because of stuff like this. Remember... Remember, Christians, the Lord forgave you, right? How many times has he forgiven you? Ooh. Look at this next part. So you what? Must forgive others. When the other imperfect people hurt me, I forgive them right away. You know why? Because Christ forgave me. And I'm going to need them to forgive me as well. Third thing, think humble. 
Third thing, think humble. We want a healthy, successful merge. We got to think humble. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about being humble, right? Let me summarize it. Prideful people are enemies of God. You want God on your side? Don't be prideful. Because prideful people not only make God their enemy, but they make other people their enemies. Anybody here enjoyed being with a prideful person? Nobody. Some of us, well, not me. Some of you married prideful people. And you know how difficult that is, right? You want to stay away from pride and be a humble person? This might be new for many of you, okay? Maybe you haven't heard this one. You got to learn to think and evaluate yourself the right way. Not others, us. Look at what the Bible says in Romans 12, 3. He says, don't think you are better than you really are. I can tell you that just about every single person in this room thinks they are better than they really are. Sometimes I feel like I hit a home run and my wife goes, man, what happened today? Sometimes I dress myself and I'm like, man, I'm hot. And my wife says, you're going to go out like that? See, pride, pride is a problem because we do not have an honest, proper evaluation of ourselves. And Paul says, don't think you are better than you really are. Okay? Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. If you have an honest, unexaggerated, realistic evaluation of yourself, then pride is not going to be an issue for you. You know what I remind myself because Paul reminded himself? That I'm a sinner. And that I'm still in need of a Savior every day. So here's, here's a question that you can ask to help you stay honest about others and avoid pride. Always ask, why not them? See, because we have plenty of reasons why us, right? Like, I need to, I need that promotion because here's what I've done, here's what I, but you got to ask yourself, why not them? Why not my wife's way? That's being humble, thinking of others, saying, why not? We're good at evoking our rights, but we need to be humble and say, why not them as well? I'm going to ask you, and I'll finish with this. I'm going to ask you for one favor, being humble. I'm going to ask you, and you've been doing a good job, so I'm proud of you already, that when you come on Sundays, that we would take the back parking and the outside parking. Why, Pastor? We got plenty of parking here in the front because we're going to leave that for our Spanish congregation. Because we want them to be able to come. To, they come right after us. We want them to be able to come in. And they got 30 minutes to get ready. And we want them to have the best spot available. Somebody told me, Pastor, we got a parking spot for you there. I said, I don't want it. You know why? Because I get here so early, I got plenty of spots I can pick outside. <laughs> I'd rather leave that for those that come late. So I know you're thinking like, we want to park in the front. But let's ask, why not them? Why not them? We got a brand new parking in the back. And once we get that cafe going, that's going to be the spot to be. We're going to put some tables out there. We're going to hang out out there. You don't have to run home anymore after church. 
right? If we park in the back, we can hang out in the back and we can be there and maybe have another service at night. I don't know. Don't get me going. Some of you are like, nah, nah, we'll park in the back and then we'll go. We're good. So we're going to be humble. We're going to think humble. Are you with me? 